Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is You Better Watch Out. I think it goes without saying that we live in an increasingly dangerous world. I think about going to the movies now, I think about where I sit, because someone could come in and start shooting the place up. You go to a soccer game, a football game. I was at one recently, very recently, and before the game started at this particular game, they had explosions. They'd shoot off this kind of firework cannon that would symbolize that the home team was leaving their hotel in their buses, and then everybody would wait, and when the team shows up at the field, more explosions, and it's just, it's impossible not to hear those sounds and wonder, you know, is that the explosion or is it something else? You say, well, nothing like that's gonna happen to me or to us, just it's not possible. As it turns out, it is possible. So what do you do? Do you live in fear? No, and we're gonna talk about what the balance is today. How do you live but not live in fear, but Watch out and pay attention to what's around you. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, and I'm going to give you a little background, maybe a ton of background in this book to get to maybe a few verses. Nehemiah chapter 1, what I'm about to read you takes place in the 400s BC, Persia, Jerusalem's involved, and let's just jump in here in verse 1 to get a little background and then go to what we're going to talk about. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twelfth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So he's concerned about where he comes from, this place in Judah, and Jerusalem specifically. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So this hits him like a ton of bricks. I mean, he's not in the best place. He's not where he'd like to be maybe, but he's, as you'll see if you keep reading, he's the cupbearer. So he can't get any closer to Artaxerxes than he really is without being married to him. He's the guy that tastes the wine and hands it to him to make sure somebody's not trying to kill him. So the king trusts him, but he hears about where he's from, that things are not good. So that's not good for him. So he fasts and prays before the God of heaven and look at his prayer. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. So he's not just talking about in general, but he says, my father's house and me, I have responsibility. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man." Chapter two, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 12th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was before him that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Always upbeat, always, yes sir, you know, just there doing his job. Never been sad. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick, right? You're not sick. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So the king identified something's wrong with Nehemiah. So I became dreadfully afraid. The king has seen me sad. I'm not doing my job and he knows I'm not sick. He knows something's wrong and now he's gonna ask me. The end of chapter one, what do you think that prayer is about? That prayer prepares him for this conversation and yet he's dreadfully afraid because a king like this has the power to kill him, to dismiss him, anything could happen. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? So he risks everything and says, here's why I'm sad. Because where I'm from is not like it is here where everything's intact, it's been destroyed. And then this little phrase in verse seven is very fascinating to me, and I recommend you underline things. And this is an odd one maybe to tell you to underline, but there's a huge principle here. Then the king said to me, what do you request? You should memorize that phrase because that's what God is doing with all of us. The king has said to me, what do you request? Now, this is a very simple thing. So, well, yeah, of course you ask. The scripture says you have not because you ask not. What is it you don't have? And if you stopped and think about it, you never even asked God for it. Never bothered to ask him. Your husband's a piece of work. Your wife's a piece of work. Your kids, whatever, everything's falling apart. And you're all upset and all stirred up. Have you ever stopped long enough to say, God, do something? I'm asking you to do something about me, about my wife, about my kids, about my job, about anything. Don't just go barreling through life and never stop when the king has said, what do you request? What do you want? You say, well, what if he doesn't give me what I want? Give him a shot to say no. At least give him a chance to say no or wait. He might say, just been waiting for you to ask. So I prayed to the God of heaven. So what does that mean? Ever done a prayer on the fly? He's just been said, what do you want? Says a quick prayer, <laughs> here we go. And says to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, 
I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Not asking you to send a construction crew, send somebody from your team. I'm asking that you send me and I want to go rebuild the city. He was ready. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? Do you know what that is? That's a yes. When they start asking questions about the details of it, how long will your journey be and when will you return? When will you be back? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time, told him it's going to take this much time to get there and I'll be back by this much time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river. Now you say, well, but he said he wanted to go rebuild the city. He knew what he wanted to do. You got to know how you're going to do what you want to do. And if the king had said, okay, go do it, but he got there and he had no resources and the king has the resources to supply him, but he didn't ask for the resources. Don't just tell God what is in your heart that you want to do, asking to provide the resources to do what you believe he's told you to do. You say, but he already knows that. Whether this makes a bit of sense or not, he has set it up where he wants to hear it out of your heart, out of your mouth. Well, I'm not going to ask. He's just going to have to do it. You know what? It may never happen because he wants you to ask. You say, well, I don't like that plan. Tough. That is the plan. Ask. So if it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through it till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must, look at these words, must, not asking, he's gotta, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, for the house that I will occupy, even down to where he's gonna live. It's torn up, I gotta have a place to live. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. <laughs> When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So now he's got enemies. Go to chapter 4. Let's just, we'll jump into verse 1. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? If you do the research, it didn't take one day. It took about 52 days. Pretty fast wall being rebuilt. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. It'll be so nothing weak, a fox could jump on it. It'll all fall down. So mocking after him. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. 
Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So when you know you're going to have adversity, you set a watch day and night. What is a watch? Somebody watching. Now, without going way too deep into this, I can't tell you how many people tell me in this city they get awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning. Anybody get awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning? Look at the hands. Now, this has nothing to do with you having to go pee or I mean, I'm not talking about that. Some people say, well, I'm up all night doing that. You know, well, you're over 50 and that's another problem. But if you get awakened in the night, you're like, well, what's going on? Why am I awake at three in the morning? It is possible that you are part of a watch, a 24-7 global watch. And people who need covering, you say, who are they? I don't have to know who they are. When you get awakened, and let's say it's 15 minutes, it could be an hour. You say, well, this is horrible. Stop complaining about being awakened. Say, Lord, why am I awake? Is my watch up? Is this my watch? And so you say, okay, Lord, you're going to have to make up this lost sleep. Who are we praying for? What's going on? Whether you lay in your bed, climb in a closet somewhere, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to intercede through you and say, I am willing to stand in the gap for whoever it is somewhere in the world. And it could be someone who's in the heat of battle on the other side of the planet, literally struggling for their life. And there you lay in your bed or kneel beside your bed and call out to God and you are there providing protection for someone who's doing battle because they need help. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Stop trying to figure it out and just do it. Well, I don't understand why if God's God that we have to pray and ask him, you know, you're gonna drive yourself nuts and get nothing done. That's another attack over analyzing all the facts. Just do it. I mean, it'd be like me going home and hitting the button that opens the gate at my house. Well, I got to thinking about that and that doesn't make sense how I can have a little thing in my hand and there's no wires and I hit it and the gate opens. I'm not gonna use the gate anymore because I can't explain that. Just hit the button, my gosh, you're gonna sit in the street the rest of your life. <laughs> Just do it, ask, pray. So they set a watch against them day and night. They heard an attack was coming, so you get ready. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Surprise attack, we're gonna get them. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times, I think this is interesting, look, 10 times, over, over, over you know, 10 times they told us. From whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Fight! Pull your weapon and fight. You say, but I don't, you know, I'm not, who are we talking about? Who are we fighting? You read Ephesians, what does it say? This armor that you put on, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You got to have the sword pulled, ready to go, and when they come against you, know what the truth is and swing at them. And it happened. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, 
that all of us return to the wall, everyone to his work. Now, here's part of my premise today. You say, well, I didn't know I was under attack. Now that makes sense. Okay, so now you know. And everybody else who's known and just forgotten about it, you've got to get your game on. You've got to pay attention. You've got to position people to protect you. You've got to prepare for attack. How many of you know for a fact if there was a meeting in hell early this morning and they had a meeting about you and your name came up and they said, okay, how are we going to take Richard out? How are we going to take Susan out? How are we going to take Jim out? How are we going to take anybody in the room out? How many of you know that they already know what they would probably do to take you out? Raise your hand. Okay. So you already know. Now, if you don't know, you need to have a conversation with somebody and figure out very simply where the weak spot is. Because we all got something. Certain things don't affect me at all. Other things affect me. So you can be pretty certain if they're going to come after you, this is where they're going to come. And you prepare for that. So keep reading here. So everyone back to their work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. So what's he do? He splits up the workforce, some work, some guard. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Then this is a, and I've read all this so far to get to that verse. That's your life. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to serve you? You want me to go to my job? Okay, I'll give you one hand to do that and the other hand is your weapon. Why? because you know you're going to be under attack. And what do we do? We put our weapon down and we wonder why we get killed. The only weapon that I can find in scripture that a Christian has is a sword. And what is the sword? It says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Fascinating that it doesn't just say the sword is the word of God. It says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you let the spirit wield that sword, you're going to be a whole lot safer Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. So they stayed dressed, ready to go, except for washing. Great pictures, always ready, doing what he said to do, but prepared for attack. Matthew 26, go over there. Matthew 26, 36. This is Jesus with three of his buddies in one of the toughest spots he was ever in on the planet. Verse 26, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. I am so overwhelmed, I could die in the garden. Stay here and what? Watch with me. Stay with me and watch with me. What are they watching for? He's God. 
He needed some time. He needed some time in a place that was familiar to have conversations with God and see if there was any way around this at all. He is overwhelmed and he takes the 11 that are still with him and takes three of those on with him and says to them specifically, stay with me and watch. I need some protection from anything that come against me while I do this battle. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found that. So he's praying. He gets up, goes back to where they are. And like, what? You're asleep? Found them sleeping and said to Peter specifically, could you not watch with me one hour? So what had happened? He probably went and prayed for an hour. You know, and there Peter probably was, you know, head back, mouth caveman open, drooling on himself or something, you know. Uh, I'm too tired. What could you not watch with me one hour? And then look what Jesus says to him. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why do you watch and pray? Because if you don't, you risk entering into temptation and when you enter into temptation, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I get a hand on everybody in here on that one. If you're a believer, the intentions, the spiritual intentions are always great, but the flesh sometimes just says, we ain't doing the right thing, buddy. We're doing what this body wants to do. Good luck with your good intentions. So how do you get to the point where the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Even though the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing and wins. You have to back it up to the watching and praying. If you don't do the watching and praying, then you land up with the flesh being weak. The spirit can't counter it and you're dead. And then this goes on again a second time. He went and prayed saying, oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And it came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again. This time he didn't say anything. They're asleep. Went again and prayed the third time saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer's hand. Part of the way Jesus made it to the cross is he watched and prayed in the garden. And part of the reason Peter didn't do so well with the rooster is he was sleeping when he should have been preparing for the rooster. But Jesus already knew that he would not watch and pray, that he would sleep and he wouldn't make it. Does Jesus already know that I'm a loser before I get to the next temptation? You say, well, he didn't call me a loser. I just behave like one. You say, well, how could you predict the future? Because it's been our past for so long. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. Now, here's how you know if you've repented and you really want to make a change. You watch and you pray. You watch and you pray. And you say, listen closely and please explain to your children what I mean. You finally say in the best of ways, hell no. Hell no. 
We are not playing this game anymore. I know your game. I know where you come and get me. I know how you attack me. So I'm watching for you. And I'm also praying, which means I'm asking God to make the spirit stronger. You be stronger than my flesh. And when this temptation comes, I've already decided what we're going to do before we get there. And I have the power to do it. So it's over. The game is over because I've already decided to win. And if you're not doing this, you by default have chosen to lose. You've already lost and you haven't even got there yet. You better watch out. I'm trying to get me and us to a place where we start saying that to hell. You know what? You better watch out because greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. We know your schemes. We know what you're up to. And so someone walks in and says, I relapsed. You go, whoo, bad for him. Good luck with that. God bless you. Go in peace. Or you say, wow, it appears that something's not working. So at least I'm going to go to him and say, look, What's your name, last name, what's your number? Here's my number. Call me, and if you don't call me, when the Spirit prompts me, I'm praying for you. I'll watch, I'll pray. And then all of a sudden he comes back and says, wow, I'm doing so much better. Why? Because he's not doing it by himself. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talks sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.